Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a really special edition of the Bird Brains with Ken and Mark. I'm ex-Philadelphia Eagles, Philadelphia Stars tight end Ken Dunnick, and my partner Mark Eckel. Many of you have asked and expressed concern. Mark had a triple bypass surgery last Monday and is on the mend. I've traded texts with him. As a matter of fact, I had to pull a rank on him this morning because he wanted to jump on the call and He's only a week out from this surgery, so I made him take another week. And uh, But Mark will be back. He's feeling better, and he appreciates uh, all the concerns. He's received many uh, calls and emails from a lot of our listeners and friends. So Mark will be back, and we're very happy that he's on the mend. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Jersey Man and Philly Man Magazine, uh, the only magazine featuring men's content in the area. If you like the Eagles, food, wine, and we're going to talk a lot about wine in this podcast uh, business, please visit our website. You can read the magazine for free, jerseymanmagazine.com, uh, you, or you can uh, call my cell, 856-912-4007. We can talk about inviting you to one of our popular monthly events uh, through Jersey Man Magazine and the Legacy Club. 200 top business people show up every month and something that can help you in your business. So on the line with me, pinch hitting for Mark, I'm very honored to introduce the guy who was really responsible for whatever success I had in pro football, and that is ex-Eagles coach Dick Vermeil. Coach, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Kenny. I'm 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 <laughs> I'm pumped as you about these Eagles. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about the Eagles. And before that, I know you're a guy that doesn't like to talk a lot about himself, but I have to ask you this question first, and then we're going to dissect the game and the Eagles season and everything. But, you know, Terry and I were so honored to be uh, invited by you to uh, be a part of your Hall of Fame induction ceremony this summer in Canton. And I was just wondering, you know, as a guy who, you know, took the Eagles – to a Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl with the Rams, and now is inducted uh, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, what does that feel like? What, as you look back on your life and your career, what does that feel like to you? And maybe you can address why you chose to go into the Hall as an Eagle. Well, first off, Ken, I'm sort of a, in awe of the honor. You know, I, I have never placed myself in the category as a Hall of Fame football coach. I've always had confidence I could coach and I, I could help a team win, but I've never put myself in the status of a Don Shula and Tom Landry and Joe Gibbs and these guys that are in the Hall of Fame. And now to find myself on the same team with them, so to speak, the same coaching staff as them, 28 of us is, is really way beyond my expectation, but extremely uh, gratifying, very exciting and uh uh, appreciative and I'm in debt to so many people starting with you you know many times players uh, don't evaluate their contributions that they make individually to teams but I've always thought the contribution of a roster starts with the guys that back up the starters and back up the hall of famers and back up the all pros and uh, throw all the passes and make all the catches the, a roster's quality is determined by all those guys that helped form the attitude and the work ethic, such as yourself, and went on and did in the USFL in a more starring role. So, you know, I, I'm uh, very grateful. You know, people say, Coach, you sound very humble. And I said, no, I'm not humble. I'm honest. I just tell people how I feel. If that reflects a humble feeling, I'm okay with that. But it really reflects how I really feel honestly. You know, it's the players that put me in there. And your decision to go into, into the hall as an eagle. Well. You know, I am an Eagle, 
you know, it was my first pro job. I coached there longer. I know the players better. Uh, um, all the guys here in town and those that even don't live in town are personal friends, such as yourself and, and Terry. You know, they're part of me, part of my family, part of my pro football roots, you know, and I live here. My kids, most of my grandchildren were born here in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, and I'm I'm a loyal Eagle fan. And, you know, Leonard Toast was extremely good to me. Jimmy Murray was extremely good to me. And all you guys, you know, all you guys. So I, I just felt I should represent those that I work with the longest and, and live with today. Well, I can tell you, uh, being a part of that Hall of Fame party was maybe the coolest thing I've ever seen. You had players from your high school days, college coaching days, Eagles, Rams, Chiefs. It was just an incredible display of affection for a a very deserving man. So, again, Coach, uh, we we thank you for including us in that. Well, you know, Ken, it was more really a reflection of uh, a reunion. (laughs) Those guys, some of them haven't seen each other. I had the entire starting offensive team from the Rams there, the Super Bowl team, plus half the backups of that offensive team they were all there intact you know, fortunately the eagles couldn't put their whole team together some of them aren't even here today you know god bless them the chief a number of the chiefs players there but to see them enjoy each other today as if they were in the locker room many years ago together after a big win was a very rewarding experience for carol Knight. Again, uh, we, we were so pleased to be there. So let's talk about the this modern-day Eagles team. Uh, Coach, I had Ray Dinger on the podcast last week, and, and we were um, together with the thought that we think that this is the best, deepest Eagles team that we can ever recall seeing. And obviously, Ray Dinger has seen a lot more Eagle football than I have. It's, it's tied for the best starting record in franchise history at 13 and one um, in 1980, I believe we started 11 and two. And there was one other Eagle team that started 13 and one. That's the 2004 team that uh, lost the Super Bowl to New England in, in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. what, uh, what are, what are your thoughts as you watch this team progress and under a second year head coach, Nick Sirianni, who I, I'm just more and more impressed with every time I see the guy coach a game. Well, first off, I I think really it's going to end up being the finest team the Eagle organization has ever had. Kenny, name me a weakness in the starting lineups. They really don't have one. There is none. If you were the head coach and you go into your general manager and say, gosh, I'm weak at this position. We got to find somebody who can fill it out. We don't have time to make them better on the practice field anymore. We got to sign them or draft them. You know, they don't have an obvious weakness. You know, and there's depth. You know, you can uh, lose an offensive tackle for six snaps and put in a first-round pick back up tackle. You know, it's amazing what they've been able to do. And you you have to pay tribute to Howie Roseman and the coaching staff, the personnel department. In regard to Nick Sirianni, if he wins this next one, he, he's got to be labeled the best, finest coach that ever coached here because no one's ever done it before. Okay, <laughs> You know, coaches are evaluated based on their win-loss records and how many games they win in the season from time to time. So uh, he's the, he and his entire coaching staff, you know and I know, an NFL head coach is a reflection of his coaching staff, reflection of his personnel department. It would uh, – I don't. I, I think Nick has done a, the coach of the year quality coaching job. He and his staff have done. 
You know what I'm most impressed with, Coach, is he never lets any opportunity go by the wayside. There are some coaches that if the quarter is running out and they've got the ball, they'll just walk to the sideline with 20 seconds to go. And But yeah. he's trying to make the other team jump offside. I mean, there's not an opportunity that he doesn't take to try to take advantage of, you know, whatever that defense might happen to give to him. And I, I just think, you know, I know coaches have done that in the past, but not as consistently as I've seen this coach do it. Well, I agree with you. And, but again, that's the reflection of the entire staff. You know, I get all the credit for taking the team to the Super Bowl in 1980, but Marion Campbell, Fred Brony, you know, Jerry Campbell, all those, Dick Corey, those guys made an unbelievable contribution to my success. It's the same thing on this staff. And now I hear in the radio, well, we're going to lose our offensive coordinator to an NFL job next year. We're going to lose our defensive coordinator Gannon to an NFL coaching job next year. Why? Because everybody thinks they've done a great job along Nick. Nick has to be the guy that molds it, puts it all together and makes final decisions with his 51% vote. But he hadn't made any bad decisions this year that I can see. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk a little about Jalen Hurts and his progression as a quarterback. Yesterday he was 22 for 37, 315 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions, probably made a couple weaker decisions and bad throws yesterday, more so than I've seen him in any game. Of course, the conditions, I think, had uh, something to do in that. It's hard to throw the football when it's windy and cold, but overall your impression of Jalen Hurts um, yesterday and how he overcame adversity and overall this season. Well, first off, I think he is the number one candidate for the most viable player in the league. Who in the league does what he does the way he does it? Now, right away, Mahomes comes up. There's no question that he's been there. He's been the most valuable player before. It's hard to get it a second time. But I think Jalen Hurts, has done a combination of so many things well. Uh, tell me what he doesn't do well, okay? Tell me what he hasn't done better this year than he's ever done it before, you know? So that's a reflection of his work ethic, his coaching, his mental attitude. He, uh, he's a humble kid. Uh, you know, fortunately for the coaching staff here, he was raised by a football coach, okay? So, you know, you know, even though his dad's a high school football coach, there's a lot of great football coaches with great leadership skills, in high school coaching you know that and i know that and fortunately for him he was raised by one and so uh, everything going on today is a reflection of the depth of him as a person as a player and i'm extremely impressed my only concern initially was him throwing the ball accurately enough out of the pocket okay he's doing it but this year that concern anymore i don't have that concern anymore he may be a 70 percent or 68 percent but he's always going to be 65 percent and he's always have a large especially with the receiving core that he has and the quality of the offensive line he's always going to have a very strong yards per pass attempt and yards per completion average above the rest of the, uh, the league so uh, then his ability to run i'm very concerned that people will do what the bears did you know with the read option and you hand off or don't hand it off but uh that they're going to just they're going to force him to keep the football and then knock the hell out of it. Yeah, I, mean, I would do that. Not illegally, but I would just say the running backs are going to not get it. We're going to close that off and make the next phase of that running play ends of the quarterback, and it's dangerous. Well, he took a couple big shots yesterday. Oh, and, uh... boy, I bet he did. He wasn't as strong a kid as he is. He may not be playing Sunday or 
Saturday night or whenever it is. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the change in quarterback styles over the years? Now you've got guys like Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, who add that running dimension uh, to the game. Do you think the days of the drop pack, a conventional passer, are done in the NFL? Well, I don't think they're done, but it's. I think all you have to do is watch college football on Saturday. You know, we're, we, those quarterbacks are a reflection, a reflection of what they learned to do in college. I mean, you can't turn on a college football game anymore and not see a quarterback that can't run and throw. I mean, it is amazing, you know, and kids are coming out of high school throwing the ball earlier and well in a variety, very, a big variety of offensive schemes. They get into college and they hone those skills. And by the time they leave, they can throw the hell out of the ball and they can run like hell and they understand the game and they're controlling it on the line of scrimmage with audibles and check downs. And it's just amazing. But I think as you watch college football, it will be a, it'll be a trend toward what you're going to see in the NFL because the great ones, that's what they do. Right. <laughs> you know, yesterday the Eagles struggled a bit early on and, you know, yesterday was what some people considered a trap game and, because we had the Dallas game the following week, and we're going to talk about the implications of what happened with Dallas. Doug Peterson did us a big favor yesterday by by beating uh, Dallas in that game. But I can remember how you used to get our team ready for a trap game, and that was you used to beat the hell out of us in practice and get our attention. If we were playing the Cowboys, we were shorts and shirts and thud tempo. If we were playing the Saints, it was uh, all, all hell was going to break loose in practice. And, I, and I'm assuming that was by design on you to make sure that we realize that every NFL opponent deserves your respect. Well, the other thing is, Ken, today with how they practice, it is hard to develop a mental, physical toughness on the practice field as we were able to do in the past. I always coached with the thought, I knew that from time to time we weren't going to be as emotionally involved in preparation and game day uh, uh, this week as we will be next week. But I, I tried to have our team prepare. If they played with average emotion and that, that they could still win the game based on their fundamental discipline of how we practice. It's harder to do that today, much harder to do that today. And that's not bad. It's just a different. It's just a different way, and a little bit better on the players. I'm I'm sure, but uh, you know, if you're not really emotional, but you're disciplined, physically tough team, you can still play an average to below team and beat them. Every once in a while, hey, I I can name a couple of times that my teams did not do that, and I, I blame myself. Okay, but uh, when we got beat by teams that won four games at the end of the year, we had no business losing to them. And that's because me, as a leader, didn't do a good job in prep for him, whatever mechanics I used. And uh, But, you know, the Eagles are at a point right now because the number of explosive players they have on the field within the offense and now the pass rush that they have, that they, they can play the average game in the NFL, the average team, or the below average team, just on their own. Excuse me, that's Carol's phone ringing. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Carol. From their own, their own uh, talent, you know. Yeah. Uh, and 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 go play. Now they it, it look appeared that they were flat in the first half, but each team that they play today is going to be better than they have been the last four or five weeks, you know. So uh, because the talent of the team that they see when preparation play, they these guys are really good, and they 
it motivates the other team. So it's a responsibility that, you know, our coaching staff here in Philadelphia have handled well. You know, they can play average to below average to their level of performance and still win based on all of a sudden a wide receiver catches an 80-yarder or a running back makes a long run. There isn't anybody on the offense that can't make a big play. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. People looked at that Chicago game. They said, oh, there's no way Eagles can lose to Chicago. They're 3-10. They're and 10. Eagles going into the game were 12-1. and one. But I'll tell you, anytime you go on the road, and especially in that environment, it's, you're not used to playing in that cold and win. Why do you think it's so difficult to win on the road in the NFL? Well, you know, again, the overall structure of building a team is not as tough as it used to be. So the overall mental toughness of the team isn't as deeply ingrained as to their own profile, their own personality. And you, you, the, the aid of home crowd helps you get them ready a little bit more. The, the negative environment on on the road, it, you know, there's no passion from the fans, no excitement from fans. There's only booze, you know, and, and you don't get anything from that. Uh, and the Eagles today are traveling as the best football team. And no matter how bad you are, when you compete against the best, you get better. Sure. They always going to have a target on their back now for the rest of the year, for sure. And the opposite happens to the winning team. Mm-hmm. You've been Hell out of everybody. Now you go play Chicago's got three wins. You kidding me? They're going to beat us, you know? Right. <laughs> and it, it's, it, you know, and, and I, someone said, or I just heard you say, well, uh, uh, Doug Peterson did us a job uh, favor in beating the Cowboys. To me, it's just the opposite. They, the Cowboys, it would have been better that they win big. Because they, they can strut easy, too. They prove that every year. Oh, yeah. Well, for for next week, yes. I'm talking about overall, it helps the Eagles uh, as far as clinching the uh, the NFC yeah. East. Yeah, yeah. of course, from week to week. You're exactly right. Hey, I want to ask – I want to talk about the Eagles' pass rush, but I want to ask you a question. And, you know, as a coach um, uh, back in the day, there seemed to be a more conservative uh, philosophy about football, especially when it came to field position. Now you see coaches regularly going for fourth and one, even on their own side of the 50-yard line, where before that was an, an automatic punt. And a lot of this, I know, is driven by analytics. But you know, how much would analytics play into your decision-making if you were coaching today? Oh, I, you'd have to acknowledge it exists. But see, the, uh, can analytics doesn't measure your opponents you're playing this week. It's just numbers accumulated through the season. And stats, and it doesn't tell you that uh, for the last three weeks their best defensive lineman hasn't played. Okay, <laughs> you know, and, and or all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the variables within a game, you know, and uh, things. But uh, the other thing that I really curious is nobody ever produces at the end of the season the results, positive or negative, of using the analytics on fourth down. Did it help them win or did it get them beat? Mm-hmm. I've seen him get. I can. I can think of the opening series of the Super Bowl last year when Cincinnati goes for it on fourth down, right? Uh, right. For, and, and don't make it, and the Rams go score. I mean, I, I understand that. If I was an owner, I'd probably fire the guy. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, to give a, a Super Bowl team the ball on your side of, of the fifty-yard line? Are you kidding me? But they. But, 
And when you are successful, you appear brilliant. What I'd like to do is find someone who will go through all these analytic decisions and find out how many times it was successful and how many times they won the game because of it or lost the game because well, you're you're a proponent of analyzing the analytics, which is something I've never heard of before. That that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Hey, what do you think? Uh, you know, the modern day NFL, uh, the players are making exorbitant amounts of money. The coaches, hey, listen, it's a dangerous game. It's a hard profession. Uh, you, you're hired to be fired. You should make as much money as you can. But regarding the money in players, um, how much do you think that affects a coach today? You know, uh, regarding personnel and roster decisions. You know, back in the day, there were no guaranteed contracts. If a player wasn't playing up to your standards, you would bench them or cut them. That was your call. But now it's a little bit trickier, isn't it, with all the money that's guaranteed to a lot of these players? Oh, no, question. Salary cap. No yeah. cash. You, 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 you as a coach cannot be involved in evaluating the salary cap. You can listen to everybody and take their advice, but you got to coach a football team. To somebody within the salary cap, Got to be working that all the time. All I think almost all organizations have a full time cap guy, okay, and that just studies and evaluates. And, and Howie's done a beautiful job of manipulating his cap. But see, he's had the freedom of an inexpensive quarterback. What happens? Not for long. Not for long. <laughs> Hell, not for long, okay. And that's going to change his ability to do a lot of things. A lot of things. That's why when some people pay a lot of money too early to a quarterback and their team never becomes successful because they don't have the money to back them up with the kind of players it takes to bring out his talents, you know, and, and, you know, and the other thing, the passing game is far more prevalent in the league today, but I did a study and I'll, I'll read it to you right now. 2020, I took the 11 top quarterbacks, the 11 top quarterbacks in the league at the end of the season and evaluated them. Okay. When they threw less than 40 times a game, that was 330 games played where the quarterback threw it less than 40 times. They had a winning percentage of 70%. Wow. When he threw it more than 40 times, he had a winning percent of 50.3. <laughs> okay. There are very few, you know, not one quarterback that year if I can remember right, had a higher percentage win-loss record throwing 40 or more than he did 40 or less. Very hard. One of your ex-coaches who I was uh, proud to play for, Jim Mora with the Stars, he had a philosophy that, you know, if you can run the football and stop the run, you can have a chance to win every football game. And, you know, I, I know that you are committed to the run. Of course, you had Wilbert with the Eagles and and Marshall Falk with the Rams, he had some some great running backs, so that might have made your decision easier. But I also think that running the football, and especially in short yardage situations, creates a toughness for a team. Because listen, eventually it's fourth and one on the goal line. You got to make a yard, and you got to do it the hard way. Eventually, it's going to come down to that. And uh, I, I really think that a lot of teams uh, don't see the game the way that we saw, or at least used to see it. Well, a lot of times their defense will not allow him to run as many times as you would like to because the opponent's already scored, okay? <laughs> Better your defense the more you can run, okay? That's correct. Yeah. Not having to come from behind is a big advantage, you know? And when you have this team here, for example, the balance, if you take the balance of everything they do well on offense, 
and balance it with everything they do on defense. There's nobody in the NFL right now as good as they are. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. Six sacks yesterday for the Eagles. Temple product Hassan Reddick, who actually did, I did a couple of Temple games in college, coach for ESPN, and I can remember saying uh, during the game, now this kid was at the time was about 205 pounds, but he was so strong and had such a motor. I said, if this kid puts on some weight, he is going to be a, a, a linebacker along the lights of Lawrence Taylor. There may not be another Lawrence Taylor, but he reminds me of Lawrence Taylor with his strength and his motor at his size. Of course, Lawrence Taylor was a little bit bigger than Hassan Reddick. And then yeah, Josh Sweat and Jason Hargrave with, with two sacks each yesterday. Talk a little bit about how much a pass rush means to a, a defense in football these days. Well, you know, we're talking about passing game, right? And the guys, the best defensive passing game is the pass rushers. The only negative to a sack is that the quarterback can't throw an interception. Okay. That's, that's the only negative. But uh, this defense, you know, and the other thing is offensive linemen, as I watch them play, some of them, their fundamentals are embarrassing. And a guy like Reddick can take advantage of a guy that bends over at the waist and doesn't bend knees. And he's a swinging door. I mean, my God, he, he beat him like a drum. He should hire that kid to play against him every week. <laughs> you know? uh, and there are, there are more offensive linemen struggling today because I don't think they get as much individual fundamental work at a high tempo. You know, walkthroughs don't get anybody ready to play. Exactly. They get to play mentally. And uh, there's more of that going on. And, yeah, they're only allowed to wear pads 14 times during the season. <laughs> so uh, we, did, we did that in three days. When we were playing yeah. back hey, you, you, know, you mentioned the offensive line. Maybe the most athletic offensive line I've ever seen, the way these guys trap and pull their, their tackles. Lane Johnson going around all the way to the left side, uh, leading Jason Kelsey at 35 years old. Looks like a young Colt out there. Um, this is going to go down as one of the best offensive lines, I think, in pro football history. Certainly one of the most athletic offensive lines I've ever yeah. seen. No, it's very good. It's very, very, very good. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had an offensive line at the Chiefs that had three Hall of Famers in it, okay? And the other two of the other two guys were made the Pro Bowl. You know, Willie Rope at left tackle, okay? Will Shields, a right guard, uh, Listen, my tight end uh, was Hall of Famer, you know, Tony Gonzalez. My left guard, Waters, was a, a Pro Bowl player. The center made the Pro Bowl time to time. The only guy that didn't play in the Pro Bowl or make Hall of Fame was the right tackle. You talk about looking smart as an offensive running team. You know, Priest Holmes set an NFL rushing touchdown record. It's 27 touchdowns in one season. You know, so uh, uh, when you have those guys as, as athletic as we have them here, and as well coached as they are, <laughs> you talk about an advantage for a quarterback. I still think he gets hit too much. Okay, that's just my opinion. You know, they're, I think they're ranked number 20 in the league in percent sack per pass attempt. You know, he's, I, he still takes too many hits. And I have different thoughts and reasons for that. But uh, it, it's not important. I, uh, but that offensive line is, like you say, mobile, physical when they have to be physical. And if they turned our big left tackle, Maylotta, and let him get in a three-point stance and put weight on his hand and come off the ball or in any place, oh boy, 
I tell you, I, I stood next to Mulata one time at the Reading Terminal, and I, you know, I'm I'm a pretty big guy myself. I'm looking up at this guy, going, "How in the world does anybody get around this guy?" I mean, yeah. he's just a and Lane Johnson on the other side. I mean, it's uh, it, it's oh, yeah. amazing. Lane Johnson hey, is a is a more gifted finesse player. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. you're talking Mulata is a guy who hasn't played that much organized football. Oh, it's, amazing how far he's come along. Yeah. Well, um, offensive line coach. Hey, yeah, yeah, Stoutland's very good, obviously. So um, we're going to talk about – so the Eagles, uh, this week in Dallas, the game does still mean something. If the Eagle, Eagles have to win or tie one time or Dallas has to lose or tie one time and the Eagles win the division, are you a proponent of the Eagles resting their regulars for a week or two getting ready for the playoffs? Because remember, if they're number one seed, they're going to get a bye week too. So how would you handle that situation if you were well, Nick Sirianni? Oh, I, and this same everything you were talking about, I'd go to Dallas to play him, and I obviously will. After that, I made a, a substitute. After if you beat Dallas, it's a lock, right? Right. Okay. So if you do that, now you have the opportunity to already have your buy. You know, you because they only have one thing getting the buy. Then that, that gives you some time to rest players and everything else. I, I hey, I promise, I I would really believe this team is going to Dallas to win the football game, and they're go, it's going to be a bitch okay it's going to be tough to beat him there because you know nobody struts more so with confidence than dallas does when they play at home well you would know you you, you would know you took the wind out of their sails in 1980 i can remember yeah, that you did, did, didn't do it very often i'll tell you that. well you, you did it uh, certainly that one time and and it meant the, the world to the city getting to the super bowl hey well let's spend the last couple minutes talking about you what you know your wife carol who everybody loves and you know she's she's been in the background for so long but i, I just love seeing carol you take her to all these yeah you know, i just saw her at the otho davis dinner and, and she's just a, a a wonderful lady and and talk about how you keep busy these days um your wine business. But before you do that, let me tell everybody a quick story about, you may not remember this, but you, you talk about a guy who's maintained activity over the years. So seven or eight years ago, my cell phone rings and I see Dick Vermeil. Now it's six fifteen in the morning on a weekday. And now I'm concerned. I'm go, what in the world? I mean, six fifteen. somebody from coach Vermeil's lines called me. I said, Hey coach, <clears throat> how you doing? He goes, he goes, uh, you go, I'm great. Uh, what are you doing? I said, what am I doing? It's 6.15. I'm having a cup of coffee before I get ready to work. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I've been out chopping wood for an hour. <laughs> I was, okay. At that time, you were probably in your late 70s, and you're up at 5.30 in the morning chopping wood for an hour. But that that speaks volumes about who and who you, who you are and how busy you stay, and I know you're busy with your wine business. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, I spend a little time on the wine business every day. You know, and we're successful now. We're not. We're in the black. You know, no more capital calls. If we, it's not a big money outfit. Okay, it's never going to be. But the wines are very good. We get great ratings. And in fact, our wine consulting winemaker was featured in, in the Wine Spectator this month as producing the number one wine in the world. Okay, so uh, in in regard to the wine, uh, wine Spectator magazine, that's Thomas Brown. So we're proud of what we do. It's expensive, not as expensive uh, as a lot of other high-quality Napa Valley wines. Yeah, and I, I, I spend time at it. I, I have to. I can't make the wine, but I can invest time with our customers, the charity events that it's involved around the wine world, and, and these kinds of things, and contact with uh, customers and wine events. I did two in Rye, New York last month. It produced 
tremendous results. You know, even a member of the Mara family was there, you know. Uh, so uh, we're doing well. You know, we have over 150-something club members now in, in Philadelphia alone. Folks, the wine is great. We Jersey, we got about 40. Now yeah. you're in it. I'm a club member. I look forward to my shipment every quarter. And by the way, for those of you interested in becoming a Vermeil Wine Club member, if you go to vermeilwines.com, there's information on that. And I can tell you one of the perks, Coach, of being a wine club member is if you go out to Napa, like Terry and I and our friends Pat and Eileen McGuire did last year, you will host them in your tasting room, beautiful downtown Napa, the Vermeil Wine Tasting Room, and they will lay out some great wines for you, and that's just one of the added benefits of being a wine member. Not only do you get great wine at a discount, but you can attend this tasting room, and they'll really take care of you. So, Coach, you may want to tell uh, people, give more information on uh, how they can uh, find your wine or uh, maybe become a wine club member. Well, you know, just have to Google Vermeil Wines and, and sign up that way. You know, get three shipments a, a year, and it, it's either a three-bottle shipment, a six-bottle shipment, a 12-bottle shipment, or what we call the Signature Series, which is uh, four bottles of the three different Cabernets three times a year. Or, or the, sometimes the Signature Series, they only buy once a year. But anyway, uh, the big thing is uh, that we win football games coming this week. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I, you know, I've got one of the little sideline computers. I, I can pull up any game played yesterday in the NFL or the whole season and watch it and study it forward, backward, slow motion and everything. And I do that from time to time when I, when I, I have some idle time to just think about football. You know? Still watching film at, at your yeah. age. You're still, uh, Hey, how about the difference in film study, huh? Between you guys had to use oh. to thread the, the projector. And now these guys have, you know, cut up clips of anything they want to see almost immediately after it happened. Press a button. Press a button. When I was here practices, we wouldn't get our practice film until about 10 o'clock that night. Exactly. That's that's why you that's why you worked till two or three in the morning and slept in your yeah. office, I guess. Yeah. But uh, hey, Coach, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I, I and that's I want to wish you and Carol and your family a very merry Christmas. And I think everybody is so excited about this Eagles team and the fact that you jumped on and shared some thoughts with us. I know everybody's going to really enjoy this podcast. So thank you very much for being on today. All right. Merry Christmas. Give my love to Terry and the girls. I will Bye. do the same. You do the same to Carol and, and everybody in your family. And that's Coach Dick Vermeule, everybody. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the Bird Brains with Ken and Mark, Mark Eckel. We hope we'll be back next week and share some thoughts on this Eagle season. So for Coach Dick Vermeule and Mark Eckel, I'm Ken Dunnick. Have a nice Christmas, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Take care, Ken. Good job. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it.